to In the Word with Pastor Don Haskins, where we open up the Bible to see what God's Word says and how it might apply to our lives. Our prayer is that you allow Jesus to change you from the inside out. And now, today's lesson. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1, beginning, it says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus and faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons and daughters by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, by which he has made us accepted in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace, which he made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of the times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth in him, in whom also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. In him you also trusted, after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. Father, enlighten our hearts. Teach us this day. Minister to your kids here right now, Lord. May we walk out of this place knowing you better than we do even as we sit in our seats right now. Draw us closer to you, Lord. May we recognize our relationship and the value of that relationship that we have with you even this day, Lord. And it's all because of you. Thank you, God, for choosing us. Thank you, God, for calling us. Thank you, God, for making us your own. And so, Lord, we lift up this time to you. We pray, God, you take control of it. Teach us deep truths maybe a nugget today where we can walk out of here going I never really understood it that way before until today wow Lord thank you and so Lord that's our prayer that's our goal and we can do that and we can accomplish that for your spirit is in this place teaching us leading us and guiding us disseminating wisdom and discernment to our hearts and our minds. Lord, may we be receptive. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right. 
Paul talking, uh, you know, Paul was, was dealing with the, the church in Ephesus, much like as we've gone and looked at over the last few weeks. We see the church of Ephesus and we can say, you know, in the church of Ephesus, it's very similar to the church in the United States. Uh, you started well. Something was good. It was good because you understood who Christ was. It was good because you understood how far away from righteousness you were and how God drew you near through his own son. You got saved. And then after a while, you began to learn a little bit more. And as you learned a little bit more, uh, some of the people that you were learning from, some of the teachers that you hear from, maybe it's culture that begins to seep into the church all of a sudden, much of the heartbeat of the church begins to be ripped out because culturalism or differing views of the word of God begin to creep in. Heretical views of the word of God begin to creep into the church to a point where there are so many things that are infiltrating the church, so many things that are bombarding the church that as Christians, there are many that will say it is so difficult to keep things straight and so therefore they give up, they throw their hands up and they say, what's the use? And it's in that that I believe that Paul would be saying to you as he's saying to me, as he's saying to the Ephesian believers, he's saying, guys, don't give up. Go back and remember the first love. Go back and remember who and why you got saved. Go back and remember who saved you. Go back and remember how far away from God you were. How he drew you near. How it's by his grace that you've been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves. It's not a result of your work, lest anyone would boast, right? You are his poema. You are his poem. Uh, We'll get to that in about another two years when we get into chapter two. (laughs) But but you are, I love that picture. You are his workmanship. That's verse 10 of chapter two. You are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. The word workmanship is the Greek word poema. It's where we get our, our, what, what, what word do you think we get out of that? Poema. What what word do you think in the English language that what does that sound very similar to? Poem, that's right. You are God's poem being written. Hebrews chapter twelve says that He, Jesus, is the author and the finisher of our faith. And so He's writing out your life. He's writing out my life. Not to get so confused into the culture, not to get so confused into the, to the heretical doctrines that begin to seep into the church. Not to, to, to get sucked into the compromise that begins to seep into the church. And, and so it's in the midst of that, Paul is bringing the Ephesian believers back to the basics. He's bringing you and I back to the basics. Do you understand? Do you realize? Do you remember? And and basics is what we're going to talk a little bit about today. We're going to talk about a word. There's a word here that we see in here. We see in verse 7, it says, In Him, in who? In Jesus, right? In Jesus. 
We have what? Redemption. We have redemption. Now this word redemption, he's wanting to emphasize this point, by the way. That lightning thunder just emphasizes this point. Listen. <laughs> In the Greek is... is uh, I always write it even out my phonetics out here and I'm even having a hard time. A Paul Eutresis. A Paul Eutrosis. A Paul Eutrosis. A Paul Eutrosis. What does that mean? Nothing. It's just that you know that it's a Greek word. Okay. Sometimes you can really learn things out of a Greek word, much like what we just said about verse 10 of chapter 2. Poema. That's kind of a cool word, isn't it? That you're God's poem. He's the author and the finisher. So he's the one that's actually writing out your poem in your life. I think that that's a great picture, a very vivid word picture to me. But, uh, you know, this is just, it's just a Greek word. Uh, it, but this Greek word, there's a definition behind this Greek word, which literally means, redemption literally means, in the Greek, it literally means deliverance or liberation procured by the payment of a ransom. Liberation or deliverance procured by the payment of a ransom. And, and so we, we look at redemption and we think, well, why do we talk about redemption? Well, the word of God is stated, is, is centered on redemption. You know, there is, is a, there is a line. They, they, some people will, will, will say that there's a line that travels from the book of Genesis all the way through the book of Revelation, and the line is Jesus. Or, or some would say that the Word of God, as I'm holding up my Bible, that there is a binder on that, that glue that holds all of the pages together, and that glue here on the back that holds all the pages together would be none other than Christ. Or that there would be a bloodline that would, that would pass through all of scripture, all the way from the book of Genesis, all the way back to the book of Revelation, and it would be the bloodline of Christ. Everything centers around Christ. I remember, uh, a, a distant mentor of mine, John Corson, once said, that, and he probably stole it from someone else, but I, because I don't know who he stole it from, I'll give him credit. He said, if you cannot find Jesus, on every single page of the Bible, you've not looked hard enough. And, and I would encourage you to find Jesus on every single page of the Bible. You don't even have, you don't have to make anything up. You're going to find Christ. You're going to find something that attaches itself to Jesus Christ. And, and so it's in that, that when we look at the, the Bible and we look at the basics of the Bible, one of the basic words of the Bible that we ought to all understand, and that is redemption. Redemption. We understand in Genesis 1 and 2, we see that there is a, a creation. We understand the creation of mankind. We understand creation of all things that were there. But then we get into chapter 3 and what do we see? We begin to see the fall of man, right? Where? In the Garden of Eden. And you remember that there was an issue that was there that happened where Eve was deceived by a serpent. 
Satan. And she took of a fruit that God had t- clearly told Adam, of that tree you shall not eat. For of that day that you eat of that tree, you shall surely die. And so, you know, the very next scene you see Eve over by that tree. And by the way, Adam was there too. He just wasn't being the man that he should have been. And, and that sometimes is just how we are, right? As guys, sometimes we know the right thing to do, but sometimes we just don't want to get involved because sometimes we don't want to upset the apple cart, maybe with our wives or something like that. But you know what? We need to, we need to be, I, I think God really would like men to, to take their role as leader in the home more seriously. And, and I think that Adam kind of blew it on that. I think one of Adam's big issues there was that he was there with Eve and he allowed her to go through. You know, how do you know that Adam was there? Because that's what the Bible says. Eve ate of the tree and she gave to Adam who was with her. Adam didn't stop her. He didn't say, hey. And by the way, God didn't say, didn't give the instruction to Eve. He gave the instruction to Adam who gave the instruction to Eve. And here Eve is breaking it. And Adam was sitting there with her going, well, I, you know, she took a bite. She didn't die. Huh. I'll take a bite too because the serpent said that God is holding something back from us. And and so what ended up happening is that because God said something and they didn't trust him, what they did is that they, it wasn't just a simple act of disobedience. No, it was far greater than that. The very first disobedience, the very first sin that we see in Scripture, the very first sin of Scripture that we see, stick with me on this, is a sin of signing away your life, yours and my life, to none other than Satan himself. Oh, that Satan tricked them. Regardless, they signed over their rights to their lives to Satan. They they rejected God. In their rejection of God, it was like they had a a contract that they had in their life. It's much like if you own a car, you have a car. And you sell it to someone, you sign on the bottom, I relinquish my rights, it's been sold, and you give it. You give that paperwork to the individual who bought your car, you've, you've given it to this person. This is now, this, this no longer yours. And so here's the thing, God, God had given man the ability to actually have the contract in his hand. What we did is we, we threw our grandparents, our great, 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 great grandparents to the million power. I don't know how far back, but we take our ancestors all the way, our ancestry back to Adam and Eve. By the way, we're all related, right? We take it all the way back to Adam and Eve and they took the contract to human mankind their own lives and everything that would come from their loins and they handed it over to Satan. They relinquished their rights. Why are you talking about this, Pastor Don? Because we have to talk about redemption. 
It starts right then. Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. You can turn there with me if you want. Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. I'm going to have to hurry up. I thought I was going to have a little extra time. Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. What we see here is that we have... We have the fall. We have Eve and Adam handing over or signing over the rights of their life over to Satan himself. And what we see is that they they realize that they're naked. They're hiding from God. That's what our sin usually does, doesn't it? It causes us to hide from God. And, and God asked them, who told you you were naked? We hid from you, God, because we were naked and we didn't want anybody to see us. He said, who told you you were naked? Now, by the way, when God asks you a question, can, I, can, can we just be safe to assume that he's not, he's not seeking information that he doesn't know yet? He already knows the information, much like dad and mom. Remember back when you were a little kid growing up? You know, they'll say something to you. You know, did you really need that cookie? And they know the answer is no. They they know the answer is is you didn't need to be doing what you did. You didn't need to steal this, or you didn't need to go and take that, or you didn't need to go and disobey in that way. They understood it. The point was is that they were getting you to a place where you can confess what you've done. And here it is. Who told you you were naked? It's obvious God knows everything, but he's bringing them to this enlightenment that they acknowledge their sin. Hey, wait a minute. Here it is, God. Have you eaten from the tree which I commanded you shouldn't eat? Verse 12. Then the man said, well, it was the woman that you gave me. She gave me of the tree and I ate. And the Lord said to the woman, what is this that you've done? Again, not seeking information, but bringing her to a place of accountability bringing her to a place of confession, bringing her to a place of acknowledgement and ownership of her own sin. And the woman said, well, it was the serpent that deceived me. Everybody's passing the buck. We do that all the time too, don't we? We can really get down on Adam and Eve, can't we? But you know what? We do far worse than that on almost a day-by-day basis. It was the serpent that deceived me and I ate. So the Lord said to the serpent, because serpent, you've done this, you are cursed more than all the cattle and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you shall go and you shall eat dust all the days of your life. And here it is, the verse. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. The only time that a seed is ever attributed to a woman is dealing with the beginning of the redemptive line to win back the rights to our lives. Redemption. Verse 15 is talking about there's going to be a battle. Oh, serpent, you're going to bruise his heel, but he's going to crush your head. 
The seed that comes from a woman, by the way, the seed doesn't come from a woman, right? A seed comes from the man. A, a woman has an egg. It doesn't say, you know, uh, and your seed uh, serpent and her egg. There's going to be enmity between the two. No, he says your seed and her seed. And the seed that he's talking is is singular. It's not a plurality. It's a seed singular. And so here's the thing. There's coming a day that God is already declaring that a woman is going to do something that is out of the ordinary. It's going to be miraculous. A woman is going to have a seed. That seed is going to produce the one that will reign victoriously over the serpent, which was none other than Satan. And there's going to be a purpose behind that. He'll win. And he'll win the contract back to your life and my life. And it's going to be a battle. It's going to be tough. And it's going to be hard. But redemption is set right here. It begins, the battle begins right now. The, the stage is set to win back your life and my life. And, and so here we have, we see this legal right that Satan says, hey, listen, they gave it to me. And notice that God doesn't argue that point. God doesn't argue the point that he, that, that Satan has a contract on the life of mankind. You remember it was in Matthew chapter 4 that Jesus was 40 days, 40 nights in the wilderness and on the last of the days of that 40 days, 40 nights, Satan goes and tempts Jesus. And he says, do you see all of the nations of the world? Do you see all the people? I will give them to you if you bow down to me. Now, if it were not true that Satan didn't have the contract on your life and my life, Jesus would have answered right there, you don't have right to those people. Those aren't your people. This is a disingenuous offer because they're not yours. They're mine. The point that Jesus didn't argue the point states that, and and Paul talks about it, also in the same book, not in Genesis, but in Ephesians chapter 2. That one day there was a time where you once walked according to the prince of the power of the air. You used to have, and you used to be owned. You used to be under contract to Satan himself. But that was your destiny. That was my destiny. It was the reason that God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die on a Roman gibbet was so that you and I can have the contract legally nullified or legally transferred to Jesus. The contract of your life. In him we have redemption. Jesus Christ redeemed the souls of mankind, those who will come to him. And so there is a choice. I know we talked about predestination. 
We talked about choosing, choosing us from the foundation of the world, but we also talked about choice that God has given to you and I. The choice that God has given to you and I says that you must call out to Him. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever would believe in Him would not perish but have everlasting life. What if you didn't want to believe in Him? Are you still going to go to heaven? Well, not according to John 3.16. Not according to Romans chapter 9 and 10. You're, you're not going to go to heaven because you don't have a belief in Christ. You don't have a belief in the gift that God has given to you. And so what happens is that upon those who have rejected the redemption, who have rejected the free gift of God through His Son, Jesus Christ, to redeem their souls, to redeem their life, to buy them back, to purchase them back. You remember what redemption means. Redemption, remember, it means deliverance or liberation procured by the payment of a ransom. And so therefore, Jesus paid a ransom for your sin, for your soul, for your life, for my life. I, I know that it's basic, but it's the basics that we've got to understand to truly appreciate a redemption. We lost it. The grandpa... Adam and Grandma Eve. We lost the rights to our life and Jesus bought it back for us. We have a beautiful story in the Word of God about redemption, don't we? In the book of Ruth. We we know that story. I don't have time to get into it today other than to say just a couple of words about it. You remember, Ruth was married to a, you know, a, a, a Jewish fella. She wasn't a Jew. She wasn't a Hebrew. But Naomi and Elimelech, you know, uh, you know, they were a couple. They had a couple kids, Malan and Chilean. Ruth was married to one of the boys and, and Orpah, <laughs> Oprah, Orpah was married to the other. And because the famine became so great there in Israel, they actually went to a different land and when they went to a different land, what ended up happening is that Elimelech died and then Malan and Chilean both died and now all of a sudden, all that was left were the women. Well, being that they didn't have rights to their land per se, the rights were through their husbands. As they went back into their land, Ruth, Naomi says to Ruth and Orpah, hey, you guys have taken care of me in this land, but you know what? I'm bitter. Don't call me Naomi anymore. Call me Mara, which means bitter. I'm bitter because my husband and my boys are gone and you guys are free from being around me. Just go and, and make a life for yourself. And in the beginning, both of them said, no, we're going to stay with you, but Orpah said, yeah, this is too much. I'm not going to do this anymore. I'm not going to handle this anymore. I, I, I'm going to do what Naomi says. I'm going to go and, and find a husband. But Ruth says, no. 
You're stuck with me, woman. <laughs> I, I love you. Your boy was my, was my husband. And you became my mom. And I love you. And I'm going to take care of you. And I'm going to be with you. In fact, your people will be my people. And your God is going to be my God. Your land will be my land. I will go with you wherever you go. Naomi couldn't shake her. And so Ruth went. You know, as they went back into town, they said, oh, Naomi, sweetness. Pleasant was her name. Don't call me pleasant anymore. Call me Mara bitter because I'm coming back empty-handed of husbands and kids. And I'm coming back and I'm bitter and I'm angry and they're poor. They get back. They have land. They can't work it. They have land. They can't do anything with it. The land, they can't even sell it to grab money for themselves. It can be redeemed by a close relative. And therein you see that there is a time where Naomi is, she's so old, she can't go out in the field and glean. And so she asked her, her daughter-in-law, Ruth, go out in the field and, and get some, get some grain, glean, go walk after the glean or walk after the harvesters and what they leave behind. And by the way, this was God's welfare economy. He had the guys go through the field. And where we live out there in, in east of 75, it's really cool because there's stuff always being, you know, grown out there. And then you see all the workers going through and picking food, picking the fruit or the vegetables off of the plants. But what God had designed is, okay, let, let that go through, let the workers go through and, and pick the fruit. But, Leave some so that when you're all the way through and you make your money, there's still some. And then you open your fields up for everybody in town, for the poor. And they go through and they pick the fruit and the vegetables and they take it home. And Naomi says, hey, Ruth, go into the, ta- go into the fields and we're going to die. We're starving. So you, would you go get some food? And so she does. She finds out that I'm in a field and I'm being treated nice. Whose field? It's a guy by the name of Boaz, Naomi, mother-in-law. Boaz? Boaz is a near kinsman to us. You stay in his field. You do what he says. And the next thing you know is that Ruth, she's in the fields and she's taken care of Naomi or yeah Naomi and word starts getting out saying hey this foreigner has come in she's not even a Jew but she was married to one of Naomi's kids and look at the righteousness look at the integrity of this woman every day she's out there working in the heat of the day and she's gleaning food to take it home to her mother-in-law to provide for her in the absence of her sons and her father. What a woman. I mean, and she's beautiful. And you know the story. That there comes a point where Naomi says, he's a near kinsman. If he would provide for you, I mean, it's possible that he might be able to even redeem your land, which would then, if he redeems our land, he would have to take you as his wife. 
you stay close to him. I understand he's single. <laughs> you know, she's truly a Jewish mom trying to get her daughter married off. Here's the thing. She she is going to marry her daughter. She's trying. She's doing everything she can. Then you remember Boaz. Again, I don't have time to get all into the story. You remember Ruth kind of sneaks in to his tent. And just lays down at his feet. <laughs> Shakes him up. <laughs> Who's there? You know, it's me, Ruth. What are you doing here? I found out that you're a near kinsman to me. And I wanted to know if you wanted to redeem the land that was my husband's, which would then cause me to become your wife. And Boaz says, are you kidding me? You're beautiful. You're young. You could have had anybody out there. There's, the guys are just clamoring all over trying to find out who you are. You could have gone with any of them. There's many out there that are wealthier than I. Why would you do such a thing? You know why? Because Ruth understood through her mother and her mother-in-law what redemption meant to carry on the name of her of her, her family. Now, now, here's the thing. Boaz, he hears from Ruth. Ruth goes, you're a near kinsman. You're a kinsman redeemer of mine. In other words, you have a legal right to the contract. And, and Boaz goes, uh, yeah, well, there's one closer to you than I am. Which tells me that Boaz was checking it out too. He checked it out. He checked out the legal ramifications of everything. Boaz, he he looked and said, Oh, man, Shlomo is one more nearer. He's more senior than I am. Man, should I really do anything? Should I even press this envelope or anything? I don't know. And, and you can imagine Boaz just sitting there wondering whether he should do it. And then all of a sudden, Ruth is there. And now, ain't no mountain high enough. Ain't no valley low enough to keep me from you. I will do what I need to do. When you told me that you wanted to be with me, Boaz is like, Ruth, you take this food back to your, to your mom, your mother-in-law, and tomorrow I'm going to go into the city and I'm going to go and talk to my the near kinsman to you, the nearest kinsman to you, because I'm next. I'm number two. He's number one. And so she, he goes into town the next day. Naomi, she goes home. Ruth goes home and Naomi says, hey, tell me what happened. She goes, well, this is what happened. She goes, oh, Ruth, get yourself ready because something's going down this day. He's not going to let the sun go down. Boaz is not going to let the sun go down until something has taken care of today. You're going to know your future by the end of this day. So get ready. And so Boaz, he goes into town. You know the story, right? He goes into town. He says, Slomo! He goes, hey, Boaz, how you doing? He goes, hey, I got some business with you. Let's get some witnesses over here, which should cause you some concern, right? Uh-oh, what's up? 
What's going on, Boaz? Hey, I got a little, a little business to take care of with you. Um, you remember that land that, that was a Limelex? Yeah, yeah. Well, you know what? Um, you got to make a decision today whether or not uh, you want to redeem that land because you're the closest redeemer of that land. I, I'm second, and so I, I, I if you're not going to redeem, if you're going to redeem it, go ahead and redeem it. But for me, uh, if you don't do it, I'll do it. And so Shlomo, which by the way, that's just my name for him, I, just to keep it clear, you know, that's not his name in the Bible. There are, I mean, some Jewish guys' names are Shlomo, and and it's just, an, it's like Peter, you know, or or John, or something like that, you know. To them, it's a normal name. I, I think it's a cool name, and so I use that name a lot. But here's the thing: Shlomo goes, "Yeah, all right. If if the, I mean, yeah, sure, I'll take it. I'll take that land. That's a good piece of property. I like that land." And Boaz goes, "Hey, hey, hey. Oh, yeah, okay, you can do that. However, you know that there's a woman tied to that land." If you take that land, you also have to take this woman by the name of Ruth as your wife to carry on the name of her husband who who passed away. And Shlomo goes, are you kidding me? I'm already married. (laughs) Are you kidding me? I can't do that. If I take that and I bring her on as a wife, I'll lose all the rest of my inheritance. I can't do that. Boaz, you take it. You take it. It's your land. You take it. Boaz says, okay, we got the witnesses out here. Does everybody hear what just happened? Yeah? Shlomo? What's your in, what's, what's, what's your answer? Shlomo pulls a sandal off his foot and he hands it over to Boaz. That was just how they did contracts back in the day. It kind of weird, but it is what it is. Here's my crock. And so from that day forward, he can stick it on a mantle and say, there's the crock of Shlomo. And it gave me the right to redeem the land, but more importantly, to redeem the woman, Ruth. And and so he did. He redeemed the woman. He got the land, he got the woman. They had a baby. Boaz was far, much older than Ruth. But Ruth had a baby. His name was Obed. When Obed got a little older and he married, he had a baby. And his baby's name was Jesse. And Jesse grew up a little and he got himself a wife. And he had a baby. And his name was David. Isn't that cool? David, King David. King David. It all started right there. That's where it was. Redemption. Shlomo couldn't take it. Why? Because he could not legally do it. Satan, I, I, I have kind of a little bit of a picture of Shlomo being kind of a, an, an, a, a, a type of Satan. Satan can't die for your soul. You've, I have relinquished ourselves to him, but the only way for you to purchase it, 
The only way that someone can redeem your soul is to be holy, without blame, with no blemish, a perfect, spotless Lamb of God, and then that His blood would be shed. The Bible says, without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness of sins. And so Jesus became a man, the form of a baby, the genealogy of David. Great-great-grandma, or his great-grandma, was none other than Ruth. And here he became the Lamb of God. Jesus became the He was the Lamb of God who took away the sins of the world. He's the one who redeemed your soul. He had to die. He came for a purpose. You know, I, saw, I talk about this every Christmas. Every Christmas, I say that that baby, we celebrate a baby being born, but make no mistake, that baby was born in order to grow up to die a ruthless death on a cross. That was the purpose for the baby to be born in the first place. is so that that baby would grow up and die in your place and my place, thereby purchasing the ransom paying the ransom, purchasing your soul and my soul. Redemption. You and I are lost apart from Christ. Paul is saying to you, Paul is saying to me, he's saying to the Ephesians, he says this, he says, guys, in him, in Jesus, we have redemption through his blood. He bought you. He bought you. Make no mistake. He bought you back. He bought you back. You have forgiveness of sins because He shed His blood for you. He redeemed you. You once were owned by none other than Lucifer because Grandma and Grandpa Adam and Eve relinquished the rights to your soul over to Lucifer. But there came a place where redemption can come along, (coughs) where God can redeem your soul. And so God became a man in the form of a baby and grew up to 33 years old and then died on that Roman cross. And he did it for you. And what he did when he did that is that he paid the ransom and he delivered you and he liberated you. He gave you life. He gave me life. Redemption. And he did it because he chose to do it. He did it because he loved you. He did it because he was passionate about you. Bible tells us in in Hebrews chapter 12, right? It says, who, you know, that, that let us lay aside every weight and sin. Seeing that we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, verse 1, of chapter 12 of Hebrews, let us lay aside every weight and every sin that so easily ensnares us or besets us. And let us look unto Jesus. Verse 2. The author and the finisher of our faith. Look at, look at, don't mistake this, who for the joy that was set before him. He endured the cross 
He despised the shame, and right now he sits down at the right hand of the Father. I told you, don't miss who for the joy that was set before him. You were the joy. You ever feel that way? Are you kidding me, God? I was your joy? Don't forget it. Don't forget it. Don't let culture seep in here and go, oh, God's always constantly mad at you. God hates you. God wants to send you to hell. God is just waiting behind every corner to slap you and paddle you. He's got that big board of education out there with the holes in it. I don't know why they ever did the holes. Maybe to be able to get in there quicker and, you know, put a tannin on your hide, you know. But here's the thing. You are God's joy. It's what, it's what he saw when he went to the cross. You and me and us and the Ephesians and all who would call upon the name of the Lord. That's who it was. He did it for the world. But those who call upon him, he'll, he'll take the contract back. He will purchase, he purchased that contract. He will, he will take ownership of that contract again. Don't let things get in the way. Don't let things get in the way. We have redemption through His blood, in Him, in His blood. Redemption. I didn't even get through verse 7. But, do you understand a little bit more about redemption? Do you see how important redemption and our understanding of what redemption is and why we need to understand what the picture of redemption is? God redeemed us. Don't ever forget that he redeemed you because he loves you. Even when you don't feel like you are lovable, know this. He loved you in spite of your lovableness. And he died on a cross for you and he died on a cross for me. And I thank God that one day we're going to realize the magnitude of that day. And I hope that we can get a glimpse of it just through a message like this that we would be able to live our lives going, you know, life is really not that tough. I know that there's some hard things that are going on in life, but you know what? When all is said and done, I've been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. He chose me and he loves me. I may feel worthless to me, but to him, cost him everything that he had get out of your head that he died for the whole world he did but he died for you he died for you if you were the only one alive if you were the only one that would receive he would have done it for you that's how much God loves you don't ever get that out of your head Father thank you so much for today thank you God for reminding us what redemption is all about you love us. You purchased us back. You chose us. You adopted us. Paul will talk about that all through this first chapter. You brought us back into a fellowship with you. Thank you, God. May we not allow the cares of this world and the struggles and the, the confusion and the conflict that enters even into the church to cloud our judgment, to cloud our minds, to cloud our joy that we can have in you. Thank you, God, 
for loving us so much that you would go to the cross. Thank you, God, that you loved us so much that, Jesus, you you bled. You endured the shame. You endured the punishment. You endured the whips. You endured the hair being ripped from you. You endured it all. You could at any moment, at any moment, you could have called down 12 legions of angels to protect you and to save you, but you didn't. You went through with it because you loved us. You loved me. I am floored when I really think about that. Help me, help us, Lord, never to take our salvation for granted, but to recognize that it cost you everything that you had in order to secure the contract back for our life. Appreciation, gratefulness, those words pale in comparison to what deep down in our hearts we are so grateful for. Thank you, Lord, that you loved us that much. We're saved because of you. We could not do it on our own. You did it for us. And Lord, we've just acknowledged it. Thank you. Thank you for redemption. Thank you for redeeming us in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, thanks for listening. So did Jesus cause a change in you today? Or do you need prayer? We'd love to hear from you. Please contact us by visiting our website at calvarychapelcf.com or call our office at 941-926-3717. That's 941-926-3717. Again, thanks for listening to In the Word with Pastor Don.